HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. My Family Recipe is a new podcast from Food52 and Heritage Radio Network, bringing you cherished heirloom recipes and the stories behind them. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, welcome to Japanese. I'm your host, Akiko Tema, a food writer and a director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes deep understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from Brooklyn, New York. And this show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi every day in the supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi, ramen, izakaya, but what exactly are they? The Japanese food is still a mystery for many people, and I try to demystify it in this program with my cool guests. And my guest today is Christopher Houghton, who is the executive chef at San Rokunana, uh, 367, it means, in Nagano Prefecture. After graduating from the New England Culinary Institute, Chris worked at notable establishments, including Mandarin Oriental Hotel in Washington, D.C., and Dallas Hotel Tokyo and Inua in Tokyo, which was one of Asia's 50 best restaurants. Nagano is known for its beautiful mountains and hot springs, and very importantly, great local produce. And Chris naturally combined his Western culinary skills and experience with celebrated local food culture at his restaurant. So today we'll discuss how he got an opportunity to cook in Japan, his idea of Japanese cuisine and how he expresses it, what he has discovered in Nagano's unique food culture, his close relationships with local farmers, and much, much more. But before we start, Japanese is available on Heritage Radio Network website, as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. So please go to iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify, whichever you listen to, and subscribe to Japanese. And please write a review. We really appreciate your feedback. Now, let's start a conversation with Christopher Horton. Hello, Chris. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. So... Uh, so you're in Nagano, so sorry that you're <laughs> late at night. But um, no. first of all, yeah, it's, it's really like so. So first of all, where are you from and uh, what did you eat when you grew up? Uh, I'm from Fairfax, Virginia, which is really close to Washington, D.C. And when I grew up, I whatever mom or dad was cooking, but I had a lot of access to my parents taking me out to different types of cuisine and food. And I think when I finally got into food, my mom would take me to farmer's market and kind of show me around there and ate from that area. Wow, amazing. So that sounds like uh, you are in a similar situation as you are in Nagano, close to the produce. Very similar, yes. Wow. So then how did you actually get into cooking like seriously into cooking um so seriously into cooking when i was in high school i had taken all of the culinary programs that were available uh in fact when i was a senior in high school i did like uh one class where i would actually go to work uh at a golf club and from there i took a year off after working uh, after graduating and really thought that that was my direction to go and 
went to cooking school and from there just cooked. So I think from maybe the age of 15, I really got into cooking. Mm, wow. Okay. And then after working at great restaurants and golf clubs, all those great experience, you went to Japan in 2014 and became a sous chef at the Taban Grill within at Anders Hotel in Tokyo. So why did you go to Japan? Um, so my first experience with anything Japanese was when I first graduated from cooking school. I worked at the Mandarin Oriental in Washington, D.C. Um, and the opening chef was a Japanese guy, uh, Hide Yamamoto-san. And he had a staff of maybe 10 plus other Japanese members and... That was my first really exposure to anything Japanese. Um, and he left to go actually open Mandarin Tokyo. So in 2004, I took a trip to see Japan and had the connections at Mandarin Tokyo um, and was really amazed and impressed. And from that point, tried to figure out how to get over here. <laughs> Mm, wow. Right. And then that worked out. So, and then you had yeah. someone, yeah, connection with the Andes Hotel when it opened in Tokyo? Um, so when I first got over here, um, I had a connection through a, a spider web of people to get over here. Um, and finally, my resume landed in the lap of the executive sous chef at the at Andas at the moment and got a call that, hey, we can support you. So I was able to come over. Nice. Wow. <laughs> um, so so you spent there uh, for three years, seven months. So um, what did you learn from the experience? Um, you know, this was the first time, you know, working in Japan um, and... I think it was a bit of a culture shock when I first came over here. Um, you know, visiting Japan, you see everything so clean and crisp to the customer face from a restaurant perspective. And you really get into the nitty gritty of what it's like to work in Japanese culture. Um, and it's kind of eye opening coming from a Western perspective. Uh, what's expected and how you are, treat your your senpai, your, the people that are older than you or younger than you. And it, I think one of the weirdest things was coming here is the first thing that anybody asks you is, how old are you? And they kind of try to size you up to how they should, uh, should I respect <laughs> you or should I kind of teach you what you should be doing? <laughs> right. Interesting. Yeah, that's that's really interesting, right? Because like Japanese education, everything is very standardized. And uh, even, you know, when did you join company, that kind of thing still is a basic structure of people's mindset, um, mm. which is kind of surprising. Um, me spending a lot of years outside Japan, it's, it's still there. And it's kind of probably good to maintain all those harmonious relationships. But... Yeah, it's it's very different, and and it's interesting you said that. Okay, and now you learned how to deal with all those things. Yeah, and it was it was yeah it was a good learning experience. I have a very now I I don't, but before I grew a beard, I had a very baby face, so people thought I was a lot younger than I was. So <laughs> people took me as ah uh, maybe I should teach you what what you need to do <laughs> <laughs> right so the key is grow your beard <laughs> what about the woman <laughs> right and then you worked at uh, um you know in 2018 you joined inua to work for thomas rebel who spent a decade heading up research and development of uh, for the rene recipes noma uh, which is one of the top restaurants in the world uh, no question so when you were i mean how, first of all, how did you join Inua? 
So, so uh, it all goes back to the fact that Noma did their pop-up in Japan in 2015. I, of course, wanted to try to get reservation. Impossible. Um, and then, you know, several years later, um, there was an Instagram post that says, hey, we're opening a restaurant and not so much information, but it was tied to Noma. And I was really interested and hesitant at first. And then finally threw my hat in the, finally threw my hat in the bin and said, okay, hey, let's try to do this. And I went for an interview uh, one week before they opened. So they already had an opening staff. But with my visa and the fact that I was already in Japan, they took me on as an intern. So it was interesting because for two months, I worked both Andaz and Inua, staging at Inua. So mornings, I would work at Andaz and nights go to Inua. And then after two months, they pulled me aside and said, would you like to join our team? And that was the day that I gave notice to Andaz and took some time and then joined with them. Mm, Wow. Well, that two months of sleepless <laughs> days <laughs> that we worked it was, it was It was very much worth it. It was very much mm-hmm. worth it. Right. Yeah, I, I think you almost spent four years at Andas Tokyo. So you you, uh, you contributed enough and you had to move on. And it was perfect timing. Yeah, so, it really was. Wow. Right. Um, well, unfortunately, uh, Inua had to close in March 2020 due to COVID and many other reasons I heard. Um, but what did you learn at Inua, which is a very unique restaurant, right? Super unique. Um, you know, so I joined the team uh, really interested in the fact that there was this whole fermentation uh, aspect of the restaurant, um, something that I was interested in from years and years ago before coming to Japan. I had tried to brew beer or brewed cider in my own house in the States and uh, to some degree of success. But the fact that they were doing everything, we had seven different chambers with all different temperatures and humidities and really diving deep into that entire world of fermentation was something that interested me and what I wanted to focus on when I went there. Um, mm. Right. So fermentation, I think it's it's been a keyword for many reasons for the flavors and also health benefits, and it's very important. So did you use the f- classic, like traditional fermentation techniques to apply to um, this kind of modern style cuisine? So what was interesting while we were at Eno was the fact that we were taking modern twists of fermentation on classic, uh, on classic things, you know, so kimchi, but kimchi with flowers or, um, any kind of vinegars. We had a, uh, katsubushi vinegar that we would produce. So it Mm. was these classic ways of making flavors and different products, but with a different eye on it. And I think that was one of the biggest things that I learned from Inua was taking classic ideas and having completely different approaches of how to get to those flavor profiles that you classically think of. Mm, Interesting. Well, I think you brought it to your new restaurant, which we're going to discuss in a moment. But uh, that's amazing. That sounds like as a chef, it's almost like a transformative experience uh, with Chef Thomas Rebel. Yeah, you know, uh, one thing I've talked with several people that have gone through with us at Inua um, was the fact that, you know, it's... There's so much going on. I don't think that this is somewhere to a young chef that's just learning to cook, learns to cook. 
it was more an experienced chef learns how to open his mind and look at the food world and culture in a different perspective. Mm. Right. Interesting. I mean, I think um, this whole when I read Jeppe, uh, his book about fermentation, everything is it keeps inspiring uh, many people in the world, uh, so culinary or beverage world. So, yeah, that's amazing that you were there in a very short period of time, two years. So you are oh. a really lucky person. Thank you. And so in November 2020, you became the executive chef at the Matsumoto Jujo, which is a multifunction project by a super cool company called the Jujin. And mm. uh, San Lokunara is a part of the whole concept. So first of all, uh, what is Matsumoto Jujo? I think our listeners should know about it because it's such a fascinating project. So we're located in Matsumoto, Nagano. Um, in the specific area of Asama Onsen. Um, this area has over 750 years of, uh, of history, and the actual building that we're in, Koyanagi, has over 350 years of history. Um, and basically this project of what we're doing at Matsumoto Jujo is to kind of revitalize the area. There's a small onsen town of all these integrated hotels and businesses um, and really trying to drive back what that area meant and what it was over the years. Mm, right. Yeah, and the owner company of Matsumoto Jujo is called Jiyujin and its corporate mission is ecological, creative, organic. We are designing lifestyles and they really walk their talk because they publish a lifestyle magazine, grow rice, and own another hotel in Niigata Prefecture before they opened Matsumoto Jojo, right? So, yes. yeah, it's just a fascinating um, concept. And I think the founders are actual designers and, the, you know, uh, college students, what I heard. Um, yeah, so, okay. And uh, so how did you become the executive chef at Matsumoto Jujo? So you just mentioned the fact that they grow rice. So every year they have an event where they plant rice. And again, in the fall, they harvest it. And during these two times a year, they have an event in Niigata at Satoyama Jujo. Uh, where they invite a handful of Michelin-starred restaurants to join in the whole process. Um, so in the first year that Inoue was open, uh, our restaurant was asked to join that whole process. Um, and I had the opportunity to go out to Niigata and plant rice. So that was my first introduction to the Junjin group. Um, mm, wow. then, uh, the restaurant was in a, uh, a holding period, Inua, and actually Thomas Friebel was out in Niigata, uh, assisting, uh, Satayama Jujo, uh, because it's one of his favorite places to be. And the, the chef there is a very good friend. Uh, so he said, he called me one day and said, hey, they have this new project and your name came up uh, through the way. Let's have a conversation about uh, what's what's the options, what you should do here. And that was kind of <laughs> where it started. Wow. Oh, that's very exciting. Um, but when yeah. you did, uh, you know, the rice planting and harvesting, what was the idea? Because it's just the symbolic um you know, work to represent Japanese essential agricultural work. So it's like a soul of Japanese food culture and you participated in it and probably your hands got messy and muddy oh. and but <laughs> all those things. So what do you think about that? Oh, I think it's it was a lot of fun. Uh, it was the first time going out there and planting and seeing the whole process and being able to come back in the fall and see the see what 
the whole process had gone through. You know, living in Tokyo the whole time, you're so far removed from these actual farms. Um, mm. But to see from spring or from, you know, early, late spring to fall, the whole process, and now moving out here to Niigata or Nagano and seeing the entire process you know, as you walk to work or as you're walking around or as you're driving, it's just, uh, you feel more rooted in what you're doing, seeing that whole process. Mm, right. So maybe that's the feeling uh, that drew, drew you strongly to Nagano. But was it okay for you to move from big, you know, metropolis Tokyo to small town in Nagano? Uh, so I have to say, so... When I was first presented with the idea, I had been to Satoyama Jujo, and it is very countryside. There is not much around. So my image of coming to Matsumoto Jujo was uh, this might be in a similar setting. So I was a little apprehensive when I first came out, but I was invited <laughs> to come check out the property and found that actually this is a, a bigger city, you know, uh, people only really know about, you know, Osaka, Kyoto, and Tokyo. But when you get down to some of these smaller, bigger cities, they have just as much as any other area has. You just have to find it. <laughs> mm, um, right. But, and it's yeah. not too far, right? Like by train, it, it's not going to take all day or anything. By train, no, like four hours? Uh, on the Azusa line, you can get to Tokyo uh, in two and a half hours. So it's relatively close for even a day trip. Right. Okay. We'll remember. <laughs> Our <laughs> listeners are going to see you. So. Yes, please. <laughs> right. right. Okay. So, um, so your restaurant, but your restaurant has an interesting name, Sanbokuna. Uh, so what does that mean? Um, so, Sanrokunana, so we write it 367, and then we have parentheses 365 plus 2. So, what it means is the fact that um, 365 plus 2, so 365 days of the change of season. Every day there's something new. And now being out here in Nagano, you really see, like you go to these small little farmers markets and they have something there for three days <laughs> and they're like no that's all mm. we have um <laughs> so you get these hyper hyper seasonalities so it's really quite interesting um and then plus two is culture and history so it's taking into consideration the culture and the history of the area as well and trying to reflect that in the cooking um mm. and then all of that combined, 367, is actually the how many kilometers long the Chikamagawa River and the Shinagawa River is, um, which is our inspiration for the restaurant, which is basically following the river from through the Shinano area out to the outlet just in front of Sadoshima Island and mm -hmm. trying to utilize the product from the start of the river all the way to the finish. Right. Wow. So it's the actual physical geographical number plus um, every day seasonal change plus that plus two is culture and probably the history. So this, this short name, there's so much packed in it and it's <laughs> fascinating. Right. Okay. So uh, what is the theme of your restaurant, uh, San Lokunana? So... To follow along what the seasonality is and the how the river cuts through the Shina, uh, through the uh, through the area that we're living in in Shinshu Shinshu area. So following everything from what we can find in the mountains and in the forest to the low-lying low-lying plains all the way to the uh, the outlet in front of Sadoshima where we can get some of the best fish and 
that I've seen. Uh, and now is the season for a sawada, and that's probably my favorite fish to have on the menu right now. Mm, right. Yeah, so what's well, kind of like, the Shinshu is very rich by itself in terms of what the land can produce, but it's really well connected, right? Because it's a kind of the center of Shinshu, which is, I mean, facing the Japan seaside, and also that a lot of things come from the Pacific Ocean too. So it's such a rich, beautiful area, even if it gets very cold and mountainous. It's kind of, I think Japanese people have a very romantic idea of living in Shinshu. Yeah, uh, you know, even this area, I've talked to a lot of people and they compare this area to Colorado. I've never actually been to Colorado, but from people that have visited overseas or foreigners that know, uh, they very much compare this to Colorado and the amount of richness and land. And, you know, even from my house looking out, you're just surrounded by mountains. So it's really quite beautiful. Mm, right. And I heard your menu really featured a lot of vegetables rather than like meat, just reflecting uh, what's available from nature, right? Yeah, uh, I think I took a very much page from my time at Inua and there was one thing that was always quoted quite heavily is the fact that when the land is giving us all of this wonderful product of vegetables to use, use those. When it's winter and the sea is amazing, let's use a bunch of fish. So, you know, it just depends on what's available. But um, I also think that uh, what I was drilled into my head at Inua is that, you know, fish, Seafood and meat is easy, but doing something interesting and unique with vegetables really makes people open their eyes, you know, uh, to how, how did you make that taste? I hate that vegetable, but that was delicious, you know? <laughs> mm, right, right. Interesting. Right. So because it's really well grown, then by itself, you realize why people start eating it in the first place. So, yeah. yeah. And, uh, well, I, I found that this uh, Japanese um, kind of phrase, the homepage home of Matsumoto Jujo is, is this phrase, describe the style of uh, cuisine. Jimi dake do jimi means it looks almost unnoticeably ordinary, but profoundly delicious. So that's really um, such a fascinating idea where you eat um, ingredients by itself. I think that's the essence of like Nagano cuisine. Yeah. I mean, when you look at some of the dishes we serve, there's four or five ingredients in it, but it's just the quality of vegetables that we get that really shines through and allows us to not touch it so much. Mm, right. Only inevitably, I have to ask, do you use fermented food, uh, a lot of fermented items? Yeah. Um, we. Use, I mean, we have a lot of connections with local producers that are producing their own uh, for us, uh, misos and shoyu and uh, sake. Um, but internally, we produce a lot of our own lacto-ferments. Um, right now, we're working on end-of-season green tomato, uh, lacto-fermented green tomatoes. Um, and then there's a marriage of things in my cooler of, of ferments and things that I've worked on <laughs> that are just waiting for the right menu item to take them out on. Mm, right. Well, I can't wait to come and eat your fermented items, including <laughs> everything else. Right. Okay, so uh, we'll take a quick break here. And when we come back, we'll discuss Chris's philosophy of cooking in Nagano's unique food culture. So please stay with us. Good food is worth a thousand words. This is Arthi Menon, and I'm delighted to share a new podcast with you. My Family Recipe from Food52 and Heritage Radio Network. Adapted from Food52's much-loved column of the same name, 
the My Family Recipe podcast will bring its pages to life. Each episode of My Family Recipe brings you a cherished heirloom recipe and the story behind it from voices across the world of food. We'd open these tubs of dough and they would exhaust these incredible yeasty fumes and it just smelled like nothing else. It was so intoxicating. I'll interview writers and chefs, parents and children about what's passed down along with the foods that we know and love. Chinese people aren't like born with a download on how to like velvet chicken. You know, like that's not something that just like comes to you. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. You're listening to Japanese. I'm your host, Akiko Tema, and my guest today is Christopher Houghton, who is the executive chef at San Lokunana in Nagano Prefecture. So the theme of your restaurant is local cuisine. And, uh, and also, like you mentioned briefly before the break, uh, you have an extensive network of producers in the area. So how did you become a part of the local food community? Um, so it's a combination of things. Um, through the current hotel that I'm with, with Matsumoto Jujo, um, they had uh, a couple people that they were already in contact and getting supplies from. Um, them having their own uh, magazine they have a connections with a couple people in the area. Um, and through Inua, we had done projects throughout the years, uh, throughout the two years to find out about more products in the area. So I connected with one of the gentlemen that was researching this area and he connected me with several different people and basically it's just been from this point asking each mm. person that I get introduced to hey do you have a friend or somebody that has this or has that and just extended you know in one year I went from knowing a handful of people to knowing you know having a, a laundry list of, you know 25 plus different farmers for different seasons, for different products. Um, and it continues to grow as I ask questions as to, hey, you have 10 kilos of this, but do you have other friends that have also? <laughs> <laughs> right, wow. I'm sure they're pleased to be asked, right? Because they're so proud of their products. Of course. Uh, even today, I just had uh, our... Uh, the people that do our laundry for our sheets in the hotel rooms, uh, she brought us a box of apples, three different types, and ah, I, I can get more if you need. <laughs> so it's just those <laughs> little kinds of things that's that you know you don't get in Tokyo. People are so much more open out here. Mm, right, it's a community you can never find in Tokyo yeah. for sure. Right. Okay. And so it's hard to say, but uh, right now, what's your, or throughout the year, what's your local ingredients that you really like and uh, how do you use them on your menu? Like, just give us some examples. Uh, some local products. Um, so actually, um, our apples right now, um, we are getting in apples because on site, we also have a hard cider program that we just started two or three months ago. And we're bottling and should be released in the next couple weeks. Um, but that apple we get and we make the cider, but we feature on our menu uh, as a kind of apple tartatan with a nice miso. Um, but wow. when we're producing the apple cider, all of the leftover pressings go to our heritage pig farm and they eat those. And then we have that on our menu as our main course at the moment. So oh, kind wow. of a mixture of different <laughs> products. But yeah, it's just quite amazing. Right. Well, this the pork must taste really nicely, kind of fruity, sweet, the kind of meat that can offer it, you. It's so good. And the fat 
is like you can cut it like butter and it's not greasy at all. Oh, it's amazing. Mm, wow. Okay. Um, by the way, you, I heard you use a wood oven and in particular fresh wood versus charcoal. So why do you like using wood oven and uh, why do you choose uh, fresh wood? So, um, so when I first joined, we were using a combination of wood and charcoal. And then I started to fall in love with the flavor that you get only from the wood. So I slowly phased out using any kind of charcoal at all um, and really took a, a deep dive on trying to learn more about wood fire cooking. Um, and started to work with our wood purveyor um, and switched up to use oak for most everything. And then when we're doing smoking, we use Yamazakura, uh, mountain, uh, cherry. mountain cherry, cherry wood. <laughs> right. um, wow. So yeah, it's just been amazing to try to figure out and the depth of flavor you get from that apart from using just mm. charcoal is night and day. Right. But isn't it hard because um, as opposed to using charcoal, which is already made, you have to uh, make charcoal. Like, you know, you can use fresh wood as a source of flavor and heat, but you have to take care of wood as well as your cooking. So you're going to be very busy if you use uh, fresh wood in your kitchen, right? I was actually just talking to a guest this evening that every week is a new learning experience. Uh, this week, before we got our delivery, it was raining. So the wood I have is a little bit wet. Uh, it takes 20 minutes, 30 minutes to make it into charcoal, you know? So uh, yeah, it's a uh, learning every day, but through every different combination of what and how things go, you figure out a different way to make things better as well. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, sounds it's really worth it <laughs> for your own personal challenge and um, the flavor-wise. Yeah. So uh, right now, who comes to your restaurant? Um, actually, we have... A lot of different people, um, all over age range. Um, I was featured, I, I got stopped by a TV program here in Japan, uh, You Are Nani Shushin, which is basically, why did you come to Japan? Mm. Um, and that kicked up a lot of media and we've had a lot of people come to check out the hotel uh, from that program. Um, but apart from wow, that, we have a lot of people, oh, it's fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> we have a lot of people that are actually from the Jujin group that love our hotel in Satayama and also in Hakone and they want to see what we're doing. You know, we've, uh, we've been open just a little over a year and, um, the age range is all over the place. Hmm. Right. So, yeah, I think people look for more than just um, eating. Like this company, Motojujo, is expressing people look for lifestyle. I think your place is one of the very few places you can actually experience and relatively easily uh, distant from Tokyo. So that totally makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, we're really lucky to have all those different kinds of people. And there, like you said, there's people that come there for the restaurant or for the onsen or for the area um, to experience. Because not only do we have our restaurant, but we have a bakery, we have oyaki coffee shop, and then we have a sweet shop as well. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of different things for people to experience when they come out to visit us. Right. Interesting. So you said mentioned oyaki. Oyaki is a regional uh, snack, right? It's kind it of flour-based baked food, and it can be topped with anything. It can be flavored with anything. So, oh, wow. So that's like a cafe of oyaki, and you can uh, have nice break, tea break or something. Exactly, yeah. And we took um, 
old building that was over 100 years old and converted it. So you get to enjoy a modern setting inside of a really classic building uh, with exposed walls and everything. So it's a mm. quite nice place to just take a relaxing break. Right. Well, actually, Nagano, I, have, I visited my high school teacher um, a couple of years ago, and she bought all those uh, old uh, farmhouse and renovated mm. beautifully. So Nagano is a full of old um, ancient structures that could be available for renovation. And uh, I was surprised how comfortable the house was and how beautiful things can be kept for such a long time. Yeah, yes, it's quite amazing. So, so you, since you came from Tokyo to Nagano, which is, a, as we discussed, dramatic change, has anything changed in terms of your culinary or life philosophy? I think when I think about my culinary philosophy is in Tokyo, you can get anything. Uh, in, in anywhere of Japan, you can get anything. Anything can be shipped around. But that's the thing. It gets shipped to you. Um, here, I, all my producers are through my line account and just text them, oh, hey, we have this. Okay, I'll take that. And the next day, they're at my back door with the actual person that grew it uh, <laughs> explaining to yeah. me, hey, this is, I, I just picked this two hours ago. And they're so proud. And to have that kind of interaction with them I can feed off of their energy to put out the best product for the guest because I have somebody that just spent the last three, four months raising this product to be able to give to me, to be able to give to the guest. And I think my philosophy of that is just the fact that I want to carry on the amount of energy that these producers have put into their product to the guest and not mm. let anything go to waste. Right. So you have a new mission uh, as kind of ambassador for the producers. And it's amazing. You can never have that responsibility when you're working in a big city. So sounds like it's hard to go back without having that experience every morning, right? Your producers saying hi to you and uh, they are proud what they're giving you instead of um, delivery person who's just, <laughs> yeah, like a medium of shipping. Something. Exactly. So, right. Okay. And uh, so what is special about Nagano's food culture to you personally? I think that there's so much culture and history. Um, you know, all these different, <laughs> you find out that there's a radish this radish from this specific area goes by this name and it's special to those people. And you find out these little pockets and I've traveled around Nagano now quite a bit. There is one city that is just known for their lettuce and the whole city and even like the prefectural group is just, we are lettuce town, you know? And <laughs> It's it's really quite interesting to see all these little pockets that latch on to what their what their image of their area is, and they really try to promote it. Um, everything from different, you know, from everything from sake to misos to um, to vegetables. It's just really quite amazing. Mm, right, and there's a sense of pride which is oh, so much. very healthy, right? Okay. And by the way, uh, so you are involved in this um, Nagano Prefecture project called Shinshu Gastronomy Tour that highlights the diverse culinary history in the area through the from a chef's perspective. So, um, I mean, indeed, Nagano is really rich uh, in terms of food culture. So could you tell us about this project and the video, which I'm going to put the link on my show page because it's amazing. So tell us about that. Yeah. Um, when I first 
got approached to do this project out in Matsumoto Jujo. Um, it was in conjunction with doing a project with the Shinshu area, uh, Nagano Niigata, and it was basically to be an ambassador for the area through a chef's perspective to uh, show and highlight what what's going on here, <laughs> what people mm -hmm. are doing. Um, the video that you had seen is actually the second adaptation. The first one that we did uh, was actually with one of your previous guests, uh, Mary Beth uh, Voiler. Um, mm -hmm. She came out this way um, and we did another tour going through seeing mushrooms growing and Nozawana and uh, kind of the more east side of or the west side of the Nagano area um, in the fall time. So the video that you had seen is our spring our late spring to early summer video. Um, and we have a great producer. Uh, he worked on the Skiji Wonderland uh, documentary uh, that really highlights what Skiji was all about before it moved to Toyosu. Um, and actually next month we'll be going out and working with a couple chefs from Niigata and Nagano to highlight the winter season of the Shinshu area. Mm, beautiful. Yeah, so uh, again, I put the link to the video on the show page, but it's called The Story of Terra, Shinshu Gastronomy Spring, uh, where Chris introduced us to the essence of Nagano's culinary tradition with the really amazing um, producers. And so when I once we go to this YouTube, um, and there are a bunch of other amazing uh, videos with English subtitles. So yeah, I recommend listeners to check that out. So, Please. okay. Yeah. And uh, so, I mean, you are really getting into the depths of Japanese Ukacho through Nagano and other aspects in Tokyo too. So, so you've, you've spent seven years in Japan now, right? Yeah. Right. So in your view, what is the essence of Japanese food culture? I have to say maybe that's changed over the years, but coming out to Nagano and really being a part of the community and looking at everything from a perspective of being here for as long as I have been, it's super about seasonality the what's what's growing should be on the plate what's going on should be displayed um and just trying to take the best of what's there and have people enjoy it and whether that means to preserve it to use for another time period um or to serve it as fresh as you can because that's when it's best um, it's, I, I think that's my essence of Japanese food culture and people being so in tune with it. Um, you know, we just had the sake release for fall that, um, I, I believe actually in your last podcast, you were talking about Miyasaka-san, which is just an hour away from me, um, and mm. his beautiful product, uh, that you got to try. Uh, right. So it's just what's what's available now. <laughs> <laughs> right. So it's almost like a chasing the season. It's and typically uh, there are twenty four seasons in Japanese cuisine and Japanese culture. Um, so instead of four, and well, I was I, in, I was very much introduced yeah. to the seventy two seasons uh, that there are in Japan quite a a number of years ago, um, and it's. It's if any of your listeners have a chance, you should look up seventy-two seasons of Japan because it's even hypersensitive. <laughs> right. So this twenty-four, I think, divided into like three um, sections, and then mm. people capture like seventy-two. So yeah, that's that's really ultimate expression of Japanese seasonality. Yeah. Ugh. So. 
Wow, that's exciting. So, um, yes. So if our listeners want to go come to visit you, um, where can we find your updates online, social media? Uh, so I'm out here working at Matsumoto Jujo in Nagano. Um, and you can find myself and what's going on with me at Horton underscore Christopher on Instagram. Okay. And then this is my final question. So what are your plans and dreams? My plans and dreams is to continue to look at the local gastronomy image as to what it is and what it means um, and really define for myself what it means to cook local gastronomy and have the opportunity not only here but in the future try to take that to somewhere else and have another perspective uh, of what it means to cook somewhere else um, and really feed off of the area and continue to learn myself uh, what it means to cook local. Mm, right. And uh, well, there are so many places in Japan, like Nagano. And uh, I know you speak really great Japanese, so that should be easy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So thank you so much for joining us today, Chris. Thank you. It was a pleasure talking with you. I was really looking forward to this all week. Yeah, me too. So, uh, well, keep us posted and then hopefully you can come back and I'm sure you're going to have a lot of updates. So in I, a year or sometimes. I would really like to do that. Okay. All right. So listeners, if you have any questions or comments about the show or suggestions for show topics or guests, please contact us at japanese.heritagevideonetwork.org or akikokatema.com. Japanese is a weekly program and always available at heritagevideonetwork.org as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. I'm Jenae's Matt Patterson, and thank you for listening. I will see you next week. Japan Needs is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thank you for listening.